Hebrews chapter 12. Let's pray together as we turn at the God's Word and then we'll go over into Nehemiah chapter 8. Praise the Lord. Father, this morning we just ask for your help, for your anointing, that you would speak to us, that you would give us ears to hear. Lord, that you would enlighten our understanding, that you would move by your Spirit, that you would glorify your Son through the preaching and the proclamation of your Word. We give you thanks for the liberty that we have to gather around your Word in this fashion, remembering those that are in chains and bonds this morning that do not have this liberty. But Lord, we give you praise this morning, and we rejoice in this great salvation, giving you the glory and the praise in Jesus' name. And everyone said it. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hebrews chapter 12. I'm beginning to read <clears throat> at verse 1. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking on to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. I want to read verse 2 again, if I could. Looking on to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and praise God is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Nehemiah and the eighth chapter, Nehemiah chapter 8, we're going to read from verse 1, Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 1. And all the people gathered themselves together as one man into the street that was before the water gate. And they speak unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded to Israel. And Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation, both of men and women, and all that could hear with understanding upon the first day of the seventh month. And he read therein before the street that was before the water gate from the morning until midday. That was for six hours. <laughs> we'll definitely have you out before one, hopefully. <laughs> before the men and the women and those that could understand and the ears of all the people were attentive unto the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood upon a pulpit of wood that they had made for the purpose. I'm going to spur my teeth this morning and your ears and not read the collective group of men that stood with them. I'll leave that to the theologians. But verse 5 says this, And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people. For he was above all the people when he opened it. And all the people stood up. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen and Amen. With the lifting up 
of their hands. And they bowed their heads. And they worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Verse 8, so they read in the book in the law of God distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. And Nehemiah, which is the Tershatha, and Ezra the priest, the scribe, and the Levites that taught the people, said unto the people, This day is holy unto the Lord your God. Mourn not, nor weep, for all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Then he said unto them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink the sweet, and send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy unto the Lord. Neither be ye sorry, for the joy of the Lord is your, would you say it? Strength. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. I would say this morning that there are so many believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, followers of Him who love Him, who are wonderfully saved by His grace and kept by His power, are experiencing a time where they have no strength. There is an onslaught, we know, against the church of Jesus Christ. There is a spiritual climate change. That's the climate change that we are interested in, the spiritual one. We see that in the age in which we're in, in these days of great turmoil, we're instructed by the Scriptures that we are to look to Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. David had a cry in his heart after his great failure. He cried these words, Lord, create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. And then restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Jesus, knowing the joy, there was a joy that was set before him. There was a cup that was set before him. But there was also a joy that was set before him. And because of that joy, do you know what that joy was? And know what it is this morning? The joy is the salvation that he would bring to these lives. And we would be partakers in this wonderful salvation. And he endured the cross for every person in this world. And those that are saved this morning are partakers of the joy of the Lord. Because the joy of the Lord is our... It's going to be our strength. In this account in Nehemiah, just following on from last week, we looked at as they came back in the building and the opposition and the tactics of the enemy. And then the doors are put in place. Nehemiah chapter 7. If you turn back one chapter, you see here that it came to pass that the wall was built. And now, as opposed to chapter 6, he set up the doors. We talked of that last week as the order of God and putting in the ministry of God. And we see when the doors are established in the city, that then he appointed the porters, the singers, and the Levites. Now these were crucial and instrumental in the ministry of the city. Porters were not 
just men that kept the door, even though that's an important task, but they were watchmen at the gate. They had a responsibility. It speaks of being watchful, being in prayer. The singers are those that praise the Lord and rejoice in the presence of God. He inhabits the very praises of his people. We're all to be porters. We're all to be singers. And we're all part of the priesthood of God by the grace of God this morning. And so we see that the the appointment of the ministers in the city was crucial to the gates being opened and the functioning of the city. In chapter 7, verse 5, it tells us there that Nehemiah found a register. And that register was a list of the names of all that belonged to that place that had a right to be there. And brothers and sisters, you know this morning that the earthly is a type or a shadow of that which is the heavenly. The earthly is a shadow. Moses received the heavenly on that mountain, and then that was built according to the pattern which is in heaven. But Nehemiah finds a register. It's a list of names. And if your name was not in the register, then you weren't able to participate in the function of that city. You see, it reminds us this morning that your name, your name needs to be in the register. And that register this morning is not an earthly book. It is not a roll call in a classroom or even in a church building or on a membership. But that register this morning is the Lamb's book of life. And your name, your name this morning, if you're saved by the grace of God, and if you're washed in the precious blood of the Lamb, and your name's written in the Lamb's book of life this morning, then we can rejoice that our names are written in heaven. You see, one day there's going to be a roll call. One day there's going to be a register. That's the book of life. It's going to be opened. And your name, friends, it may be in many places. It may hang in many walls. But the only place that's important is your name's in the Lamb's book of life. If it is, would you say amen? amen. Is your name in the Lamb's book of life? Then we should rejoice this morning as the register. When the roll is called up yonder, will you be there? Will you be there? Praise the Lord. I'll be there. Will you be there? You see the shadow and the types here of this roll call. And then in chapter 8, as we come into it, we see there in verse 4 that Ezra the scribe stood upon a pulpit of wood, which they simply made for the purpose. Friends, it's not so much in how grand or how great it looks or what type of wood or how it's carved. They simply made a purpose for the Word of God to be proclaimed in a day where men do not want to hear the foolishness of preaching. That even goes as far as in the church of Jesus Christ. This is central to everything of what we are, the proclamation of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And here he stands, and all the people gathered themselves together as one man, and it was before the water gate. Now, there's a study here in the gates, and we'll not do the whole 12 this morning, but very simply, the gates were significant. They symbolized there was great spiritual truths in the gate. For example, there was this sheep gate. That's the gate by which the sheep 
We're brought through. There's a type here. There's a shadow. There's a spiritual truth. We have a great shepherd. And he came looking for the lost sheep. And he brings us in. There's one way in. And that's through the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll read of a fountain gate. That speaks of the baptism in the Holy Ghost. That's the place where we're filled with the power of God. We read of the dung gate. What's the dung gate? That's the place we need to get rid of all the sin that so easily besets us. It's also the place of molding and being made into the fashion and like the Lord Jesus Christ. But here it was the water gate. And the water gate was crucial. The, 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 the truth in this is powerful because it wasn't by accident that they chose the water gate for the proclamation of the word because the word of God is powerful. The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 5, if you turn over to see the significance of the water gate or the washing of that water. And he, Ephesians 5 and 25, it says these words, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also has loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the Word of God. This is speaking then of the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit and the washing of the church of Jesus Christ. They stood at the water gate. They were proclaiming the Word. What's the purpose of the washing? The washing of water by the Word. Verse 27 tells us this, that He will present it to Himself a glorious church not having spot nor wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. The significance of the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit and the washing by the Word of God. Now Ezra stands on a pulpit and now proclaims the law for six hours a day, every day, for seven days. It was the time of the Feast of Tabernacles. It tells us as he brought the law, Several things that I want to point out in Nehemiah chapter 8. In verse 2 it says these words, All that could hear with understanding. In verse 3 it says, And those that could understand. In verse 7 it says, It caused the people to understand the law. In verse 8 it says, And caused them to understand the reading. It also says in the book of the law of God distinctly and give the sense. What's crucial in the day in which we're living is that we have an understanding of the times that we are in. This is something that comes not by education, but by revelation according to the word of God. Now, if you're saved this morning, this is what Ephesians 1 and 17 says. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and the revelation and the knowledge of Him. That the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened. That ye may know what the hope of His calling and what the riches of the glory of the inheritance that's in the saints. So there's a difference between hearing a sermon, 
hearing the proclamation of the word and then understanding what has been said. This is crucial. That's why the people responded because there was a revelation that came to their minds and their hearts by the Spirit of God as Ezra began to read the law of God. And in particular, they understood how they had fallen away from God and God had brought judgment upon them and they were led into captivity and God had promised that if they would turn to him that he would move by his spirit that he would gather them together that he would bring them back again to the place that he appointed and they began to understand the day in which they were in they began to understand as Ezra began to proclaim the word of the Lord they understood not just with an intellect but they understood by the revelation of God's word, by the Spirit of God. You see, we can hear a sermon after sermon after sermon, but what's more important this morning is that we understand and have a revelation of what God is saying to us individually and corporately. God is speaking in these days, and the people responded with an amen and an amen, and they lifted up their hands, and they began to bless the Lord, and they fell to their faces, and they worshipped the Lord because they grasped the power and the revelation of God. God's word. So God is speaking to us and their ears, it says in verse 3, were attentive unto the book of the law. In verse 5, if you read it in Nehemiah 8, it says, Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people. And when he opened it, they had such a reverence for the word of God. I know there's some churches that have this practice that when you come to read the Word of God before the preaching of the Word, that the congregation would stand for the reading of the Word of God. This is a precious thing. There was a reverence for the Word of God. It wasn't in that, in that sense because of the man. It was because this is the Word of God. This is the living Word of God. This is not just any old book. This is God's word. This is a holy book. This is a living word. This is God's word to our lives. And so there was such a reverence at that time that when they opened the word of God, can you see it in, your, in, the, in the eye of your mind? All the congregation of Israel stood up for the proclamation of the word of God. What a reverence for the things of God. What a reverence for God's word. And so it tells us there, as they stood, the people responded to God's word. You see, brothers and sisters, there is a response to what God is saying. There must be a response in our hearts. There must be a response in our lives. You will either accept it and apply it, not only to be hearers of the word, but to be doers of the word of God. And so there's a response. You know, so often today we are just being bombarded and we just constantly are listening to the message, but it's more than we just hear the word. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. But if there's no works to that faith, then it's nothing, it's dead. So there was an action on their part. We're going to grasp what God's saying and we're going to live this out in our lives. So the people answered, Amen and Amen. And they lifted up their hands and they bowed their heads and they worshipped the Lord. You see, right in this place, there was a strong desire for the Word of God. And brothers and sisters, this is, this is 
really crucial in the days in which we're living. And you know, the Bible says, blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after, what does it say? Righteousness. What is righteousness? Righteousness is Jesus. Jesus is the Word. So when we talk about a hunger and a thirst after righteousness, it's a hunger and thirst after Jesus Christ and His Word. How will you know Him? You'll know Him through His Word. And so there was a hunger and a desire. Praise the Lord, if you hunger and thirst after righteousness, there's a promise you shall be filled. And we're looking for God to fill us afresh. So he says in verse 9, Nehemiah chapter 8, This day is is holy unto the Lord your God. Mourn not, nor weep. For all the people, what happened? They wept when they heard the words of the law. They began to break. There was a brokenness amongst the people. The word of God had such a profound effect upon their lives as it was proclaimed that they began to grasp there was a hunger, there was a thirst, there was a desire to hear the word. They were attentive. They understood what was being said. And then they began to break as they considered the word of God that came. They began to understand what God was saying. They began to grasp the the mercy of God, the grace of God, the faithfulness of God. They, They understood their own faithfulness, that He is faithful, that He never fails. And they could see that they had failed as a people and they'd come back. And as they began to break, they realized how they'd grieved the Lord. They began to consider their ways. They understood the days in which they'd come to. And they began to build and they began to put the doors and they began to have the order and they heard the word. And these were the people that if you've seen them or if you listened to them, would tell you that we feel weak in the journey. We're tired in the journey. We're pilgrims in this life. We're trying to build, but we're tired and we see the opposition and we see the, the weakness of our own lives. These pressures that were upon them and It's very much like the hour in which we're living. It's very much like the day that people find themselves in. There's so much pressure. That's a word that there's so much stress on lives and on homes and on on believers. There's people that are tired of the pressure and the pressing and the difficulties. Is anyone with me this morning still here? Do we hear the, the groans of God's people under some of the most tremendous burdens that are upon them. We, we see the difficulties. We hear their cries. We see their tears. And all manners of things are going on in lives and in homes and in churches and across our nation. It's, it's turmoil. And there's the sense that we're weak in ourselves. We understand that we have no strength. It's like there's a weakness. And when they heard the word, it was distinct. It was declared. It was proclaimed. And they give attention to it. And as the people gathered and they waited, Ezra, under the anointing of the Spirit of God, he makes a declaration to them. He says, I want you to eat the fat. I want you to drink the sweet. And you see if there's people here this morning that have nothing. See if you're here this morning and spiritually you've come into this house 
And in, in your life it feels as though you have nothing. You do love the Lord. You are saved by the grace of God. But you're so beat down or so pressured by the world and the stresses and the troubles of life. Are you understanding what I'm saying? Am I, am I clear on what I'm saying this morning? That you've come into this house and it feels like you have nothing to offer. You have nothing to consume. It seems like you have nothing to give. You come in empty. And you're weak in yourself and you're broken and you don't know where to turn. And Ezra said, listen, eat the fat and drink the, drink, drink the sweet. But listen, if you're here this morning and you don't have anything, don't panic. Because there's something for you as well. This is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the gospel that we proclaim. It's for those that have nothing. And those that are nothing, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus is everything. And if you've come weak and barren and broken and lonely and tried and pressed and stressed and under pressure, don't worry this morning because you can eat the fat too. That's what Ezra was saying. And so they were mourning. There's provision, there's food, there was sustenance. Because they came spiritually impoverished and spiritually bankrupt. Now this feast was the Feast of Tabernacles. And this was profound. This was a feast that the Lord himself practiced. And on the last and the great day of the feast, John 7, 37, what did he say? He says, if anyone thirsts, let him come unto me. For out of his innermost being are going to flow what? Rivers of living water. In other words, he was bringing us to the revelation that everything that we need in this life, in these last moments of time, in the days in which we're living in, this gospel age, thank God this morning, everything that we need, we'll find in a person. And his name is Jesus Christ. We see here that this was a holy day that would be unto the Lord. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will be glad. Don't be sorry. He says we will be glad and we will rejoice in it. Why? For the joy of the Lord is your strength. How many people need strength? How many people need strength this morning? Come on. How many of you this morning are looking, God, we need the strength of God in these days. We need a strength that doesn't come from ourselves. There's such a thing as a holy joy. There's such a thing. I called it a holy joy because it's completely different from a worldly joy. The world, they woke this morning, they checked their numbers, they didn't get the lottery, and they're as depressed as they were yesterday morning. That's the world. But if he got a tenner on the lottery, he'll be rejoicing over that. But next week, friends, when he doesn't get his numbers up, he's going to be miserable. They're, re they're rejoicing this morning if their team won. They're rejoicing if they've got a new car. They're rejoicing if they've got a new boyfriend or a new girlfriend. It'll probably last just a few nights. They're rejoicing because of the materialistic things of this world. But we're talking about a different joy this morning. Would you say amen if you know about this joy? You see, we tried those broken cisterns and didn't the waters fail? Wasn't that joy just temporal? Didn't it always leave us miserable, empty, sad, depressed? We have tried the broken cisterns, and ah, the waters failed. And they mocked us. Didn't they mock us? 
Then they make a spectacle of us, but we have found the joy and we have found the pearl of greatest price. And praise the Lord this morning, His name is Jesus. And the joy of the Lord is going to be the strength of His people as it always has been. You see, there is a joy that you'll never find in this world. You'll never find it. You've searched. How many people looked for it and never found it? Put your hand up. Praise the Lord. You searched for this joy, but you never found it. But you did find it in a man called Jesus. Would you put your hand up again if you found it? Did you find it? Praise the Lord. His name's Jesus. This world can never give us this joy. Joy often is discerned, and it must be discerned, because in the materialistic world that we live in, even in the church, joy is discerned by what we have in material possession. Do you understand what I'm saying? Listen, the world and even parts of the church today are completely consumed that if we have the stuff, then that's the joy of the Lord. I want to tell you something, brothers and sisters. We don't need any of this stuff if you have Jesus. That's what brings us the joy. And so we have to discern the day in which we're living in because most are fixated with the stuff, the material stuff. But listen, if he takes away, and listen, just be real this morning. So if he takes away our building and he takes away our homes, And he takes away our clothes. And he takes away our finances. And if he removes everything, it's going to be easy in my account. If he takes it all out of the account. Brothers and sisters, let me ask you this morning. What's your joy? What's your hope in this world? We sing these songs. But it has to be more than a song. It is a song. But friends, the reality of this life. If he takes it all away, what have you got? And if it's determined on what you have, then brothers and sisters, you're building your house, not on the rock, but you're building your house in the sand and you're going to be disappointed. But if you build on the rock, when the storm comes, the house will stand and you'll rejoice in Jesus. It came to pass as they set up these walls and they put the doors in place and there was this great rejoicing in the Lord. We see here that the church will be strengthened because of a holy joy. If ever the people needed this strength from the Lord, it's today. When David brought the ark into that tabernacle in 1 Chronicles chapter 16, this is what it says. They brought the ark in, and this is a type of the Lord, of course, his presence. Set it in the midst of the tent that David had pitched. They burnt and offered sacrifices and peace offerings. And when David had made an end of offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the name, the people in the name of the Lord. Verse 25 says, this is what he said, For great is the Lord, greatly to be praised. He also is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the people are idols. But the Lord, he made the heavens. Glory and honor are in his presence. Strength and gladness are in his place. 
Give unto the Lord, ye kindreds of the people. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Bring an offering. Come before him. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. There's a joy. It's a holy joy. And it's a joy of the Lord. And it's something that is so precious to the saints. Let me ask you this morning, are you rejoicing your name's written in heaven? Are you glad you're saved? I mean, if you have nothing this morning, if, if you're sick in your body, if your mind's troubled and your stress and pressures of life, let me just lift your eyes up this morning unto Jesus. Are you glad you're saved? Praise, have you got breath in your body? You know, I watched a, a, a wee clip last night of, of Bishop G.E. Patterson. He's gone home to be with the Lord. Way, way back many years, I thought of Stephen. And this is at the time that I wish I was black because they can sing and they can dance. And he began to sing his sermon. I'm not going to do it. I wouldn't do it on you. But he began to sing his. He had just been healed of cancer. Just been healed of cancer. He stood on the platform and he began to sing, I'm a living testimony. The way only he could sing it. And then the part of God came down. Listen, this is the truth. I'll show you the clip if you want to. The power of God came down in that congregation, swept across the congregation. And as the camera turned round, listen, listen to me this morning. This is true. There was a man that got out of a wheelchair with no legs. Now, God could have grew two legs in an instant. How many people believe that? But he didn't. But that wasn't going to stop this man. He still got out of the wheelchair on two stumps with the treasure legs on the floor. And his friend held his hands and they began to rejoice as the presence of the God filled that house and they were rejoicing. A man with no legs. A man with no legs. And so we come so often. Listen, he had many problems, I'm sure. But that wasn't going to stop him rejoicing. And we have many problems, I'm sure. But does that stop us rejoicing in the Lord? Knowing that the joy of the Lord is our strength. We see here that in the Bible, the, 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 the Word of the Lord tells us that the gladness in the presence of God, that there is a fullness, there is a fullness of joy in His presence. In His presence, there's fullness of joy at His right hand. There are pleasures forevermore. Now, if it's determined on what we have or we don't have, then it's not the joy of the Lord. And we are all susceptible to feelings. Isn't that right? I mean, if it's going to be raining, lashing, windy tomorrow, you, you know what we're like. You know, it's a miserable day. It's the worst day living in Ireland. It's awful. You know, and it's depression. And we're walking around with our hoods up and we can't lift ourselves because this is terrible. And the nights are turning in. That's just me. And the clocks and it's getting dark. This is awful. But if our joy is determined on that, if our joy is determined on whether we have Brexit or whether we don't have Brexit, I pray, like Brian said, that there's not a hoof left behind. But whether we're in or whether we're out, whatever they're going to do, they're going to do. But the joy of the Lord is our strength. If the whole thing collapses in the morning, if the banks collapse, if everything comes down around us, Brothers and sisters, the joy of the Lord is our strength. It's good to know you're saved. It's good to know your name's in heaven. This is the joy of the Lord. It's good to know that if He comes tonight, I'm ready to go. 
I'm going up, brothers and sisters. It's good to know that the death and the grave has no power over me. The sting of death has been removed. There's victory in Jesus this morning. It's good to know he's a healer. He's a deliverer. He's the keeper of our faith. It's just good to know, isn't it? And that's what we rejoice in. But then that becomes our strength. There's a church that Paul brought our attention to for a particular reason. He was writing to the church at Corinth that had many things, many giftings, many talents. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, if you turn to it, he spoke of a church that had absolutely nothing. It had nothing. He talked of the churches of Macedonia. Now, these churches in Macedonia, they're Thessalonica, Philippi, and the soul like, they were the churches of Macedonia. But in 2 Corinthians 8, he said these words, Moreover, brethren, we do to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. Look at verse 2. How that in great trial of affliction. Look what's happening. Know what's happening at this time. The history books tells us they were losing their properties. They were being moved out of their homes. They had no place to to, to meet, they were being persecuted, they were being imprisoned, they were going through some awful things, that in the great trial of affliction, what happened? There was the abundance of their joy. Do you see what he's saying? He's provoking the church at Corinth who had so much that this isn't based on what you have materially, that even in the great trial of their affliction, you know, James says, count it all the joy when you enter into diverse temptations. So it wasn't based on what they had. They were up against it. But it says there was the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded. Look at what it says. Their deep poverty abounded. But it resulted in this, onto the riches of their liberality. In other words, listen, they had nothing. They were persecuted. But you know what they did have? They had the abundance of the joy of the Lord. Not only did they have that, here's the second thing. They give liberally. How can you give when you have nothing? Just give yourself. That's what God's looking for. They give out of their nothingness. And Paul says, for to their power I bear record, and beyond their power they are willing of themselves. So it's not determined This abundance of joy can't be determined on the basis of what you have materially. If God's blessed us materially, thank God for that. But if our soul focuses on what we have materially, brothers and sisters, we're going to be living on a roller coaster. Enjoy their strength, but it's not just any strength. It's the Lord's strength. And this is the strength that we need for the hour. The Lord is my light. And he's my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Who's the strength of your life? Who's the strength? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? What will we fear? What will we fear? What will we fear from the politicians? What will we fear from the laws? That they'll pass. Pray against them. Pray that doesn't happen. But what will we fear? Because the joy of the Lord's our strength. In Psalm 28 and 8 it says, The Lord is their strength. And he is the saving strength of his anointed. 
Now, if you're saved this morning, you're the Lord's anointed, and He's your saving strength. The Bible tells us in Psalm 37 and 39, the salvation of the righteous is off the Lord, and He's their strength. Listen, He's their strength in the time of trouble. He's our strength in the time of trouble. In Isaiah 25 and 4, it says, For thou hast been a strength to the poor, a strength to the needy in his distress, a refuge from the storm, shadow from the heat, when the blast of the terrible ones is as a storm against the wall. Is the Lord your strength this morning? Jeremiah says, O Lord, my strength, my fortress, my refuge. He's my refuge in the day of affliction. The Lord will be the hope of His people. The Lord is the strength of the children of Israel. The gospel truths that have come to us through the Lord Jesus Christ, of which the prophets prophesied. One of the great truths is this. If you turn to Isaiah uh, chapter 61, I think we opened with this song this morning. But Isaiah chapter 61 and verse 3, it says, To appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give them, this is the gospel, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, and the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. And they, this is what they do with this joy and the strength. They build the old waste places. They raise up the former desolations and they shall repair the waste cities, the desolations of many generations. Brothers and sisters, the joy of the Lord is our strength. The joy of the Lord is our strength. It is noted this morning that David's cry and everything of what had happened in his life was a restoration of the joy of this great salvation. I want to ask you this morning, have you lost the joy of knowing Jesus? Has the things of the world come in? You know, the day that you get saved, the day that he came in and the glory filled your soul, the tears come running down your face, the chains were broken, your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life, and you're rejoicing in this glorious salvation. Have you lost the joy of this great salvation? Have you lost what it's all about? Because, friends, it's, it's going the way it's going to go. But whatever way it goes, because we really don't know, we'll pray, we'll stand, we'll believe, we'll do all that we can do. But we really don't know what's going to happen. But let me tell you one thing we do know, is that we can rejoice this morning that our names are in heaven. Are you saved? I mean, are you saved this morning? Are you washed in the blood of Jesus? Do you know him this morning? Have you lost, has it been tarnished by circumstances, stress, troubles, difficulties, afflictions, whatever it is, the working of the enemy? Brothers and sisters, the joy of the Lord is our strength. What he's done, it's a holy joy. What he's done in our lives, how he's redeemed us. Has he kept you? 
Hey, have you got breath this morning? Hey, can you clap your hands? Have you got feet this morning? Can you stand to your feet? Can you lift your hands? Can you rejoice this morning? Maybe you might have ailments and pains and all different things going on, but can you still get to your feet and say, Thank you, Jesus, I'm saved? What a joy. What a peace. You know, one day, very soon, very soon, I believe this, we're going to leave this present world. We are going to leave this world. This church is going to leave this world. If he comes or calls, we are going to leave this present world. I've been thinking a lot about eternity all week. Eternity. And when the more I think of it, my little brain just begins to smoke a wee bit. Because when I begin to think of eternity, an endless life with Jesus in heaven, a home beyond this present world, when you begin to think of the goodness of Jesus and all that he's done and his faithfulness, and as they would, as I close, as they would come out, and they were saying, the joy of the Lord, your strength, and then this Feast of Tabernacles, know what they do? They're going to leave their homes, going to leave their houses, they're going to leave all their material stuff. They gather some branches together, and for seven days they'd live out in the street, they'd live in wee booths, and they'd sit down in the wee booths, and it was to remember the faithfulness of God as they traveled through that wilderness. And families and fathers and sons, mums and daughters would gather around and they'd sit in those wee booths and they'd lie back and they'd begin to look up at the starry sky and they'd begin to remember what the Lord had done. Remember he brought us out of Egypt. Remember we went into that wilderness. Remember he fed us with manna. Remember the rock was opened as all type of Christ. And the waters came. Remember he led us with a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And they'd live out there for seven days just to, do you know, sometimes we've got to clear all the garbage. And we've got to really remember what's the Lord done for us. And they'd sit there with their wee family and they'd look up at the stars and the glory of heaven and they'd begin to think of how good their God has been. And they would fill their hearts with joy. I know that, that feast was not just for the Jews. It was for the Jews and the Gentiles. It's for the stranger. It's for you this morning to come in and to see and to know how Jesus has died for you. How much he loves you. How he wants to save you. That you can know the joy of sins forgiven. Have you forgotten? Has the clutter of life left you weak and feeble? When you think of the goodness of Jesus and all that he's done, our hearts are filled with joy this morning. He's a great God. One day we're just about very soon to leave this world. I do believe it's soon. I believe it's so soon. And we're going to enter into a city. Talking about a city. But this city, builder and maker is God. And what a day that's going to be. What a rejoicing there's going to be in heaven. I think a few people might get a shock. How exuberant and how much rejoicing there's going to be in heaven. I mean, that's why we're going to get a new body. Because all the religious stuff's going to go. Listen, we're going to rejoice. But we're not just rejoicing. We're rejoicing in him. Because his name's Jesus. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Have you lost that joy? Just ask him, Lord, would you restore the joy? of my salvation. Rejoice in it this morning of all that he's done. Let's stand together.
Let's just lift our hearts to the Lord this morning as we close. Give Him thanks. Amen. It's good to give Him thanks, isn't it? It's good to remember what He's done. It's good to rejoice this morning. It's good to acknowledge Him. Praise the Lord. To give the Lord thanks. Just to lift your voice this morning. Thank Him for what He's done in your life. Has God been good to you? God saved you? Has God kept you? God forgiven you of all your sin this morning. Your name's in heaven. Brothers and sisters, let's thank Him this morning. Just give give a few moments to thank Him. Don't hold back. Just open your heart and thank Him this morning. Rejoice in this great salvation. Just take a moment to thank Him. Maybe someone's just lost that joy. Just ask Him this morning. Ask Him to forgive you. Ask Him to fill you with that joy this morning. Don't hold back, friend. Just thank Him this morning. Thank Him for saving you. Fill the house with thanksgiving for this great salvation. God's been good to us, brothers and sisters.